I could never talk to you about this subject because I didn't want to go down a road that was sensitive. And maybe this is the key that unlocks the next century of episodes. Today I talk about Disneyland. The happiest place on earth. And even though it's a cliche, that was the happiest place on earth for me. And a place that probably convinced me to go into film and television long before I ever walked on a set. I liked Walt Disney. I liked Mickey Mouse. I wore the shirts. I bought in all that stuff. I'm too cool for school. But I was a kid and a kid at heart at one point, And I wished upon a star. How lame is that to say? But it's true. I would look up at those fireworks and I'd think, one day, it's all going to happen for me. And it's fitting that I couldn't talk to you about something this sensitive to me until episode 99. And here we go. Episode 99 starts right now. The Disneyland test. It's taken me 99 episodes to talk about this subject because it is the soft, gooey center of the jet. I took Gina to Disneyland the first time, and I could look this up in a journal because I definitely wrote about it. And I told her she had to get a pass. She was frugal, to say the least, and she didn't have a lot, and she lived with her parents. But I told her it'd be worth it. I told her we'd have a great time. But I remember feeling the pressure of what a big decision it was for her. And this was probably only like $200 at the time. Although this was 16 years ago, maybe, I knew then what I know now. And that was that I'd be with her forever. And that's some sincerity that I don't like going into, but there it is. I remember waiting at the counter (laughs) as she paid, looking nervous. But by the end of the night, she had no fears about it. That she let me see. Maybe she did. But this goes back a long way. So let's take this back to yesteryear. Some of my most vivid memories, like a lot of people, were from Disneyland. It was a place where time froze. I felt incredible. Every piece of your brain is being stimulated as a child. I remember some funny times. (laughs) One year we got Disneyland tickets as a gift. And my mom, my dad, my brother, and my grandmother were all going. And we are at the off-ramp. And my mom realizes she forgot the tickets. And we got there really early. So we had to drive all the way back to our house, which was over an hour and a half away, to get the tickets. And the way back and the way there was miserable. My parents were fighting. But it was, uh, it was a hell of a memory. <laughs> I think even my grandmother, who was a sweetheart, my dad's mother, Irma, I think she was even ganging in a little bit on the, uh, the brutalization of my mom for getting the tickets. But it's all water under the bridge at this point. And then I remember the first time I ever went with Sarah and the genesis of the Disneyland Pass. When Stephen and I were 13, well, I was 13, he was 10 or 11. I don't want to split hairs here. I was 13 and Stephen was 11. We decided to get a pass. It was $99 then, season pass. And we were staying at my aunt's house, who was in Fullerton, and we went there almost every day. And it was great. We did all these things. Stephen was patient with me because I was so scared of roller coasters that I only went on certain things. I think I might have gone in Space Mountain at the time, but definitely not Splash. Maybe Thunder. There were a lot of rides there that I was still very frightened of. But I loved the place, which was great because... 
I was scared of it, but yet I loved it. That was our first experience at the Disneyland Pass. I probably have that pass somewhere. But it was it was more than just a fun park. And it wasn't until later when I read Walt Disney's biography, the one that was written 50 years after his death, so all the inner office communication could be revealed. So, for instance, when that legendary story of how Disney had to fight his entire board and his brother to get Disneyland open, you find out that's not true, that Roy Disney was 100% behind it and was like, here's the $700,000 you need for this investment. I think it's a great idea. So you find out funny things like that in that book. But my point is, is that it wasn't until I read that book that I realized why I was so in love with the place when I started going there as a kid. And it was that Disney invented the park to be like a set, a movie set. But that's why I fell in love, was because it was my first experience on a movie set. Long before that faithful entrance I made to the set of Friends on Soundstage 24 at Warner Brothers, but my first experience was at Disneyland. Everything was beautifully lit. Everything was more perfect than perfect could be. Flash forward to the first time I went with my girlfriend. I was probably 16 or 17. 17, because that's when I started dating her. This is going to take some suspense of disbelief, okay? Because I'm 30. But there were no GPS of any kind for civilian use. And so I got lost on the way there. It was the first time I'd ever gone on a trip this long, and I knew I wanted to take my girlfriend there. And I got lost. I had to go to a payphone in a really bad neighborhood in LA and call my dad and ask him how to get to where I was going. And I remember having to put the payphone, and some of you will remember this, on top of the, not the receiver, but on top of the payphone itself, and run to a corner to see what the cross streets were. But this was an industrial town, so I had to run far and had like my girlfriend at the time, Sarah, like put quarters in while she was on the phone with my dad so it wouldn't hang up as I ran down a half mile to find out where we were. We eventually get there. One of the most magical nights of my entire life. I enjoyed it so much. The Disneyland test was, could I have a good time with her there? the girl that I was with at the time, or would I not connect with them on an energy level at this place that was so important for me? And I did with Sarah, and it was amazing. And then another time I went there that was so memorable was that for her birthday, Sarah's birthday, we were going to go to Disneyland, and that day when I was 19, my grandmother died, Uh, my dad's mother, and she was very important to me, was clear about how much she loved me and I got to say goodbye to her the day before she said she loved me it's one of the last things she ever said so we were planning going to Disneyland with Sarah for her birthday and Irma died so I went down said goodbye to my grandmother and then decided not to cancel Disneyland which seems counterintuitive right why would you go to Disneyland on the same day where someone in your very small world because you were so young died I thought it was what she would want I remember going with Sarah and we were sitting there watching Fantasmic and I felt my grandmother who used to go there with me, and it was special. So we flash all the way forward to Gina. We end up having a great time together. I tell her things like when I was a kid, if someone had said, what do you want to do when you grow up? I would have said, be in film and television or be a ride designer. Now, I didn't have the math skills, so that never was going to pan out, but it was one of my ideas because I liked the place so much. And it was hard for me to even admit that I liked the place. I haven't been there in probably five years because I don't like to indulge joy when I'm not in a place in my life where I feel I deserve it. And that's a flaw, I know, but it's true. Did Gina pass the Disneyland test? Well, the picture of this episode will be an amazing picture of Gina. That makes me so happy to think about. We found a little bouncy ball. 
one of those ones that goes, bow, 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 and we bounce it all over the park. Sounds like idiots, but we had a great time. We ended up watching the fireworks while laying down. It was incredible. And there was a girl in between those two that didn't pass the test and it didn't work out for us. But uh, <laughs> I mean, it was one of those magical moments, man, which happens at a place like that. I looked at Gina's eyes while the fireworks were going and I was falling in love. I did things for her that I wouldn't do for anyone else. I went on rides that terrified me because I cared about her, got over some of my fears there. And I ended up asking her to marry me on the balcony of Club 33 with my best friend and my brother there recording and taking photos respectively. Club 33 being the exclusive club that you can only be invited to, which was the founding club that Walt Disney himself had before they changed it into something that isn't what Disney had. We went to the one that was the real Walt Disney one. A special place. A place I don't let myself indulge in thinking about because that would be a softness that I don't believe I can afford in my pursuit. So why are you talking about Disneyland yet and how special it was and how much it meant to you and Gina? Maybe I'm ready to start talking about it again because I'm ready to start talking about optimism in the Disney idea of that. In the joy idea of that. I tried to write a book on Walt Disney when I was a kid, foolishly. I'd tell people I was writing a book. I couldn't string two words together, but I thought I could do that. Recently, I read Bob Iger's book, the CEO of Walt Disney, before this new Bob came in. And uh, he's the legendary guy who got Pixar, Lucasfilms, Marvel, and Fox. It was a great book. He had an amazing trajectory, worked for the same company. His story deviated from mine once he got one break. We both kind of started the same way. He started at a low level at ABC, then became a weather reporter, then lucked out because of a connection with his uncle. And the, But how it was still possible for me to do incredible things. And I can't really explain why that is. Because before, and I told you guys in an episode probably 10 or 20 ago, that I didn't want to read this book because I knew it only depressed me. It depressed me that I didn't get the same trajectory he did, the same luck that he did. Because I've run companies, and most of his story was almost exactly the way I managed. But I would have felt sorry for myself, and I don't now, which is pretty amazing. And the reason this had to be episode 99 to talk about it is not important to you. This isn't something that you hide behind. I don't have kids, as you know. Kids is a way to exercise creativity because quite literally you have created someone and then you get to see the world through their eyes. And I've seen people see the world through their kids' eyes and it's magical. And I can't even begin to imagine what that's like. My creativity is going to have to come out of the things that I create, which is stories and worlds and people like Walt Disney did. It was the desire to create, and going to Disneyland was the creation factory for me. I didn't really know where I was going with this episode, <laughs> except to tell you that I was willing to talk about this stuff for the first time, and that it took me this long to get there. I'm not going to get really mushy, because we're one away from the biggest episode that I could have, 100. 100 is the next episode. It'll be a click for you. Scroll, click. It's been unbelievable uphill battle. But isn't that the case with everything amazing? Isn't that what I loved about Bob Iger's story? It wasn't easy for him. Isn't that what's amazing about Walt Disney's story? Or the park itself? What it is? What a testament it is to effort? To dreaming? 
That's what it really is. It's a combination of creativity and business know-how. The industry of creation. I call my folder on my laptop that has all my screenplays in it, World Engine. The engine that drives the worlds that I create. I couldn't talk about this till episode 99, but I don't know why. (laughs) And the other one was about how much I hated school and all that stuff, and that was difficult. And then talking about what I like is difficult. So talking about what you don't like and talking about what you like is difficult. Maybe that's... I don't want to guess. I'm not going to keep saying maybe. I know that in my house right now it's over 100 degrees and I'm doing this episode because I need to. I wish I could bottle up that feeling. Here I go, feeling feelings and talking about them. The day I asked my wife to marry me, I brought a change of clothes to go to Club 33. It was in the car, so we went back to the car. My friend Chris... My brother Stephen and Gina and I. Gina didn't know. It was my birthday. And we went back to the car. We changed into our fancy clothes. We had a reservation. Knocked on the door. They let you into this amazing wooden elevator. And I had gotten some bad news that day from my doctor saying he thought I might have cancer. I ignored that because it was for Gina. This day was for Gina. I had a little ring in my pocket, guys. I didn't know what stone Gina wanted. I wanted her to pick out the diamond. So did cubic zirconia in it. But Gina had no idea I'd ask her to marry me. Twelve years we had been together. Or at the time, a little less than that, probably 10 years. And we never thought we would get married, so it was a total surprise. I remember exactly what she was wearing, exactly how she looked. When we were having the dinner, all I could think about is how I had this nerve-wracking thing, and she wouldn't have guessed it because it was my birthday. She thought the day was about me. This couldn't have happened, by the way, without my mother, who got us the tickets to this. It's a miracle that it even happened. Chris Coy's complaining about how he has to spend $100. (laughs) It was so funny. Yeah, he's doing better now, but he was so poor back then. It was probably his year's income. But uh, I remember how they spelled out my name in chocolate on the food. Money can't buy happiness, but that was a pretty memorable thing, and it cost a lot of money. And then I talked to the person who worked there, and I said, we have a special thing coming. I'm going to ask my wife to marry me. Where's a good place? We go out on the balcony. I kind of do a scout when I'm pretending to go to the bathroom. I'd been sober for a long time, too. I went to the restroom and then went out on the balcony and saw if we could actually get out there. I didn't know if you could. It didn't look like you could. It looked like there were windows, not doors. But I decided, screw it, I'm going to do it. So then I tell Chris and Steven to go out there with the camera, and then I ask Gina to come out, and we're in the corner of the balcony. So we're right above, like, Pirates of the Caribbean, and there's a group of people down there, and I see Gina, and I say, I have to ask you a question. (laughs) And I get on one knee, and I say, I can't promise you anything except for the fact that you'll never be bored. Will you marry me? And she punched me in the shoulder. No joke. Because she didn't believe me. Because we had never talked about this. And I used to joke about asking her to marry me. And then I'd like pick up dog poo with those plastic bags. And then I'd get on one knee in the middle of the street as a jokester and pretend. So even though this is a Disneyland, I'm, I'm, I'm sure she didn't think it was a joke. But she punched me in the shoulder. like, shut up. She didn't buy it. But I meant it. And it was one of those rare moments in my life where I was allowing myself to be sincere. And it was amazing. Isn't that annoying? It is for me. Because I don't like the idea that the cliche moments in life are the ones that are most significant. But that was such a thing. And it holds such a special place for me. And I don't like talking to people about that. I really hate it. (laughs) But what a moment. What a bold thing that was, putting myself out there like that and having the person that was most important to me in my entire life, the person that I knew I was meant to be with. And it took some effort. We didn't know about that immediately, the whole 
soulmate thing, I was a little burnt out on. I had had some bad experiences and I didn't know if I believed in it. I thought maybe you just meet people and sometimes you meet someone you can stand. Well, over the years, I've realized that Gina was much more destined for me than I could ever imagined. I had no job. I had no money at the time. And yet I spent almost every dime I had on that ring. That's no joke either. Isn't that amazing? It's a true damn story. And she said yes. And then I floated back into the place I had dreamed of going since I found out about Disneyland Club 33. The minute I found out, we'd walk by and take pictures in front of that club. And then we were in there. And that story is told to you on episode 99. Because right before 100, which this is, I'm going to be going into the life that is Club 33. I don't see the signs. I feel it. I don't have any evidence in my pocket, in my inbox, in my house that shows me it's going to happen, but I feel it right now. And most of my episodes up until here, I was too cynical as a person to believe that it would happen. I didn't think goodness could come to me because I didn't deserve it. I thought that if I start thinking positively, I'm going to get brutalized by the negative stuff that's going to happen and I'll be unprepared, so I have to prepare for the worst. But I didn't that day. Even though I had that bad news on the phone and that's never going to happen to me again because that was a test, I felt incredible. And it was an incredible day for Gina. You're just hearing me today. I just let you in. I haven't done that in a long time. Here it comes, guys. The next time you hear my voice, it'll be episode 100 of Psychotherapy. Isn't that amazing? Thanks for listening.